Hey, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're continuing on in our series entitled The Goodness of the Gospel, but we're taking a side vantage point into it as we move out of the Gospel of Mark that we've been marching through and take another look at the Gospel as it shows up in Hebrews chapter 10. During the American Civil War, a soldier as a result of a family tragedy, was going to be granted permission to seek a hearing from the president. And so he went to the White House, but the communication hadn't been clear. And so at the door, he was denied access. And so despondent, he goes across to a park uh, in D.C. and is sitting there sullen. And as he sits there, he sees a young boy that's walking, uh, walking around, and the young boy actually sees how sad this soldier is and goes up to him and inquires why he is so heartbroken. And the soldier finds himself, as he looks up at this boy with a, a, a kind look on his face, just pouring out his heart and explaining about the tragedy in his family and then explaining that he had come with an opportunity to talk to the president and ask for permission to go home and, and take care of his ailing family. And now he was denied access. And the boy looks at him and says, well, why don't you come with me? And so the soldier's confused. He's thinking maybe the boy's going to take him into his, to his parents' home, or maybe the boy's going to go and, and get him some food because the, the soldier was, was poor and hungry, had no place to go. But he's surprised when the, the boy takes him straight up to the White House, and they pass through some guards. No one stops them. And then they go around the back of the White House, and, 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 and then they come in a back door, and the, the, the soldier's just shocked as they move past one high-ranking official after another, and no one stops them, but instead they stand at attention until finally he comes to the Oval Office, and instead of going up to knock on the door, the boy pushes open the door, and immediately the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, stands up and says, hello, Tad, how can I help you? And he says, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. Today I want to talk to you on the topic... It's who you know, not what you do. It's who you know, not what you do. Now, as I've researched that story, I'm not so sure that it's true, but it makes a wonderful, wonderful point that we have access to the Father through the Son. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Can you say draw near, church? Draw near to God. That's what we want today. We want to draw near to God. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now here's what experience tells me, is that most 
people in churches feel like second-class Christians. They feel like second-class Christians. There's a few elite Christians that have direct access to God. Man, their prayers are heard. They immediately enter into the presence of God. But most feel like second-hand Christians. I bet if you're like me this week, there's been some times where you've been frustrated with yourself, that you think, why did I do this? Why did I say that? Why do I always mess up this way? And we project that onto then our relationship with God. And so we so often feel distant from him. We feel like, well, here's maybe an illustration. I, I, I fly around a lot. And one thing I just don't appreciate about airlines is that they make you, when you're boarding the plane, walk through first class to get to our peasant seats. Right? There, there are only three, and, and, and I, I usually fly American, there's usually three rows of first class. And you always have to walk through the first class. And, and so you walk past these thrones. These, they're double size, or actually maybe they're just the size enough to actually fit a normal human compared to the little sardine, right, seats they give us in the back. You have to walk past, and you see, and you try not to make eye contact with anybody in the first class, because if you do, you kind of get this look like, I belong on this plane. Go back to your back seat. You know, and there's 35 rows of us that are like elbowing and fighting and just hoping to have, have room up top, you know, and, 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 and when, the, when they bring the drinks to us, man, the, some of the flights I've been on, they don't even let you speak anymore. They're like, hold up one for Coke, two for Sprite. They're like, they don't even want you to touch them. While first class, they come up and they're like, hello, madam, may I bring you some champagne, you know, and, and, and the first class people are all, you know, sprawled out. They cross their legs to mock us. They have their arm, you know, while we're like just sitting, praying that the person's shoulder doesn't knock us out. Anyway, I'm not bitter. <clears throat> so I was, um, I was flying somewhere, and I, I was just beat up from the week. I was so tired. And, and you know, we have this experience as humans. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the gate area, in the waiting area, and have you ever noticed you can be surrounded by people and totally lonely? You can be surrounded by people and totally lonely. And, you know, I'd had a hard week, and I'm just beat up, and I'm just feeling like, man, no one knows my pain. All those, there's tons of people around you, you just feel lonely. And because I have some claustrophobia, I can get pretty anxious about flying at times. And so it was one of those times, and I'm like, man, I am not, I'm lonely, I'm not wanting to fly. And then I get back to my seat, and it was one of those crammed in, every seat taken, no room in the overhead, so stuff is all around me. And I'm, I'm just sitting there going, okay, breathe, breathe. You know, doing my, doing my calming breathing. And, but the thing was, it was interesting, because in, in the, I, I'd been so lonely, but I'm, I'm sitting there, and I actually see a man from my old hometown that I know. And, and, and he had smiled, and we'd had a, a, a conversation. And man, don't ever underestimate the power of smiling at people. It, 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 in an anxious moment, in his just kind words, a few kind words, we weren't close friends, but it was just so good to see someone. Can I just tell you that you can make someone's day just by smiling at them, just by talking to them? There's just a ministry of your presence in people's lives. You might be the very person someone else needs to see here today that might just minister their heart. That's what he was for me that day in that gate. I had walked onto the plane, 
And I had to take my judgments back because he was actually sitting in the first seat of first class. And, and it actually, it consoled me. I mean, I, I was a little jealous, but I was also looked at him and I was like, you know, I have someone on this plane. Like if I get too anxious, if I start freaking out, at least I have someone I can go to. So I get back to my seat, you know, and I'm in, like the human sardine going, breathe, Robert. And, and they, they shut the doors and immediately the, the stewardess gets up, comes back and she goes, are you Mr. Herber? And I said, yeah. She goes, come with me. And I'm like, what? I'm like getting kicked off the plane. She goes, and bring your stuff. And I get up, and I'm following her going, what has happened? And my friend steps up, and he passes me in the aisle, and he winks at me. And he gives me his first class, first row seat. And I sat in that throne. And, you know, I want to say that that day, I didn't deserve that seat. But the Bible says this, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It says this, by a new living way open for us through the curtain. I went through that curtain of first class, folks. That curtain that they try to, you know, separate us lowly people from that clean first class bathroom. I went through that, that curtain. And it says this, by the blood of Jesus, by his Body, can I tell you, in the kingdom of heaven, there's no second-class citizens. There's no coach seats. There's no economy seats in the kingdom of heaven. The King Jesus has paid for your salvation to go into the best seats, into the best place, into the most holy place. You don't have to be separated. You don't have to work your way up. I didn't work myself up to first class. Actually, that guy had paid the price with his body. He was a million-mile flyer. And so he had endured the pain of tons of flights for years and years to earn that first class, and then he gave it freely to me, and that's what Jesus did for you. You see, we're saved by grace through faith. You can't work yourself into the kingdom of heaven. I, I, I often ask people how I can pray for them. And, and so after that, sometimes I'll ask them, so let me just ask you this. Are, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you sure that you'll go to heaven when you die? So many people tell me this. Yeah, I, I think I will because I'm actually a good person. They'll say, you know, I, I try to do good. I don't do much bad. My, my good outweighs my bad. Do you know that that's not what the Bible says? The Bible says you actually can't earn your salvation. You can't earn being made right with God. The Bible says actually because we're sinful, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to the Lord. But it goes on to explain that Jesus purchased our salvation in his body on the cross, and therefore we have a purchased seat. We have a purchase seat in the kingdom. We have a purchase seat in heaven. But here's the problem I find with Christians. Most people by now, if, if, if you have heard that numerous times, you've probably accepted the free gift of salvation. But most, they just receive that gift of salvation, but then live like a second-class citizen thinking, I might be saved, but God wants me in the back of the plane. Like, I'm just barely saved. I kind of have the restroom seats, right? Those back seats that don't even lean back, and it smells pretty bad because you're right by the, you're like, I barely made it on the plane. And Jesus is saying, no, son, no daughter, come through the curtain. Come up to first class. Come up to where you can make a request and not feel like you're offending the stewardess. Come up, but, because I have purchased your 
salvation, but I've actually purchased your ability to draw near to the living God. Can I just tell you that by the cross, you're not only saved, but by the cross, you can be near. Church, you can be near. And who doesn't want to be near to the living God? He who is perfect, he who is loving, he who is kind, he who meets our needs, he who is comfort. You want to be near. And Jesus purchased your nearness. It's not through your works. You didn't come into this faith by your works. You don't earn your nearness to God through your works. You are a child. You are a son. You are a daughter. Let's keep going. Let's just keep walking through this scripture. By a new and living way opened for us. A new and living way opened for us. You see, it's so easy to fall into religion. It's so easy because all of life tells us that we only get what we work for. Right? That's why your parents were like, you've you got to do well in school. You've got to do well in school. If you do well in school, then you'll get good grades. And if you get good grades, then you might get into a good college. And if you get into a good college and make good grades, you can get a good job. And if you get a good job and you work really hard in that job, then you'll get promoted. And if you get promoted, then you can get a high pay. And if you get a high pay, then you can have a nice house. And although that might be true in school, can I tell you, that's not how the kingdom of God works. You don't have to earn your place. You're not, Jesus said this, he looks at his disciples, this, this rough group that just kept messing up all the time. And he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. For in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You see, so many of us, we just get that religious works mentality over and over and over again. We think, I've got to earn my way close to God, and all I have will only be what I earn. I put one effort into the kingdom, I reap one success or one victory or one breakthrough or one blessing back. I want to tell you, you don't get what you deserve in the kingdom. You don't get what you deserve in the kingdom. You get what you don't deserve. You get grace. You get favor. You get mercy. And that's why we draw near to God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, how do we get what we don't deserve? Because you have a priest that is making intercession for you. Have you ever had a friend or a family member that was just determined to bless you? Have you ever had that before? Like, you didn't deserve it. They were just determined to bless you. I had a grandfather like this. I would come to the door. I was just a little kid. I couldn't do anything for him. And he'd open the door, and he'd always go, come on in, little buddy. Man, everyone needs someone that calls you little buddy in life. Man, it just feels good when someone's bigger than you and stronger, and they just call you little buddy. Right? We, did, we all need to be someone's little buddy. And he'd say, come on, little buddy. And, and he'd, come, he'd have me sit right down on his right side. And then he'd always say, what can I get you? And my grandfather was like the original foodie. And, and so he would have all of these different really, really cool foods. And he'd just give me food. And, he'd, and then he'd always say, come and watch, come and watch my show with me. And, and that is how the great high priest is Jesus is making intercession 
for you. You're hurting, and Jesus is standing with you and praying for you. He is bringing you before the Father. He is the Son. He is like Tad with Abraham Lincoln. You're hurting, and you're saying, I I can't even get in. And he goes, no, you can't get in on your own merit, but you can come in on mine. And I'm going to bring you right into the Holy of Holies because the Father wants to bless you. The Father cares for you. The Father wants to protect you. The Father wants to pour out his love upon you. It says this, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. You know, we live in a time where we're we're not assured because relationship after relationship has been broken. People have left us. We said one dumb thing, and then our friendships split on us. Have you ever had that? You're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And then someone all of a sudden, they just, they peace out on you. They ghost you. You're texting them. You don't hear anything. And so we start having this, this doubt in relationships. Maybe, maybe your parents left you. Maybe your mom left you. Maybe your dad left you. Maybe you, you had a best friend and they left you. I'm so blessed that my best friend has been my best friend for 27 years. Same person. I know you can't always, oh, that doesn't always happen, but, but mine did. And here's the special reason it did. It's because my college roommate one day married my sister. Okay? My college roommate married my sister. And so what happened? He got stuck with me forever. Why? Because we actually legally became family. We legally became family. Can I tell you that you're in the family of God? You're in the family of God, and he will not disown you. The Bible even says, though, we might be unfaithful, God is faithful. You are adopted into his family. Let us draw near to God with sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what I'm not saying is it doesn't matter what you do. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about license today. But here's what I know. I know most Christians are living under condemnation because we all sin. We all fall short, and then the enemy works overtime telling you what a sinner you are, right? Anybody have any discouraging thoughts this week? Would you just be bold and and raise your hand? And if everyone doesn't raise their hand, the rest of us are going to be really discouraged. We all get discouraged. We all have condemning thoughts. Why? Because the enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren, so he works overtime telling you. So you mess up, and if that's not bad enough, then the enemy reminds you of your mess up all week. And then, if you've been a Christian long enough, then you get upset that you keep thinking about how you messed up, because you know you shouldn't be thinking about that, and then you get really messed up. He's the accuser of the brethren. But the scripture says this, We can have confidence and assurance having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. This is what I do almost every day. Most every day, I I read the Bible, and then I go up. There's there's open space by my house, so I, I hike up this trail, and I have made a cross, okay? And I'm a visual person, so I actually did this physically. I made a cross with rocks, on it. And every single day I kneel down and I put my hand on that cross to remind myself of what Jesus did for me on that cross. Do you remind yourself daily? 
And I'm not just talking about salvation. I remind myself that the blood of Christ cleanses me. I remind myself that I'm valuable to him, that he purchased me. I remind myself that my soul and my heart is cleansed and my body is sprinkled because so many of us walk around with this self-condemning record playing over and over and over. And that is why Hebrews is so clear, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience. When you feel guilty all the time, don't think that that is from God. Conviction is from God. Conviction is from God so we can agree with him and say, yes, I sinned. I'm sorry. Now cleanse me. I receive your forgiveness and then move on from there. Move on from there. It would break my heart. My kids have occasionally sinned. They don't anymore, but they used to when they were little. And, and, and when they did, we would bring them near and we would tell them, this is what you did. And then we would discipline them and then we would immediately wrap them up with love and, 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 and say, now go and play. We would not make them, we would not ostracize them for a day or a week. We would, they would be disciplined and then immediately sent back. And, and, and I would have been heartbroken if, if my kids, you know, say they, they did something, they, they bit their sister or something, if they just for, for the rest of their life just walked around, I'm a biter. I'm a, that's just what I am. And I'm the family biter. I come to dinner. Nope. I'm a biter. I'll probably bite someone. I'll probably miss my food and bite their arm. I'm a biter. That's what I do. No, that would break my heart. I'm like, come to the table. Be with us. Let's have fun. Nope. I, I, I'm just, I'm a biter. I just bite. I, nope. That would break my heart. No, I, I, I'd say, hey, you bet. There was discipline. We loved you. And that's not who you are. You were made to be more than a biter, son. Your whole life, you're not going to just bite people. God has a purpose for you. It's bigger than biting. Right, but so many of us, that, that, we just are lost in this cycle of, I just bite, I'm just I bite, I'm a biter, right? And God's saying, no, you're washed clean. What, receive, can I just tell you right now, can you just close your eyes and re, this Hebrews, listen to this word from Hebrews, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Let, can you let the Lord cleanse your guilty conscience? So many of us are just trying to justify ourselves. We're just trying to, gosh, you know, I just, if I can just do enough, enough better deeds tomorrow than the bad deeds I did today, and God is saying, no, receive my cleansing. It's what I did on the cross. I pay. Let the blood of Jesus, I'll, I'll picture the blood of Jesus washing over me. Right? If the enemy can keep us feeling guilty all the time, we'll never get on to the joy and the abundant life that he has for us. So receive that abundant life. Receive that cleansing today. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Say hope, church. Now we need hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I was meditating on this this week, and I actually had three different aspects of, of this hope we profess come to mind. First point is he is our hope. If you're taking notes, write this down. He is our hope. 
So you see, so many of us, we get in circumstances, we get sick. I, I was very sick for two years, almost died. And, and then all we do is put our hope in our healing. Or perhaps you're, you're bankrupt, you're financially desperate. And so your hope, your whole life becomes hoping for that financial deliverance. Or perhaps you're in addiction and the whole hope just becomes getting out of that addiction. And let me explain to you something. Oftentimes, our deliverance takes longer, our financial breakthrough takes longer, our healing takes longer than we would like because God is saying, if I gave that to you, then you'd just go on with your life. But ultimately, I want you to find me as your hope. You see, if you find him as your hope, you will always have hope no matter how hopeless the situation gets because he is bigger than any situation. He is our hope. The scripture says this. It says, you have been my hope, Psalm 71.5. Someone needs to write this down today. You have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Some feel very unconfident. You feel very insecure. It's time to find Jesus as your hope. The scripture says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So many of us just feel like if I can perform better, if I can just do more in my job, if I can just have higher accomplishments at school, if I can just perform better in my athleticism, or if I can just be a better mom, then I'd have hope. And Jesus is saying, no, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's him in you. Do you know that you'll never be enough, but he is enough in you? Some of you are like, Ah, uh, that wasn't encouraging. No, it's very encouraging because you don't have to be enough. He is enough and he lives in you. Secondly, oh, I've just got to tell you a great story. I was watching a movie last night. I was not expecting. I was just kind of, we were watching Hallmark last night, I confess. And um, the thing about Hallmark is just always so predictable, right? It's like, Boy meets girl, girl meets boy, their life kind of stunk, then they found the person, then it's awesome, then in the last 15 minutes, you can actually watch the clock, they will have a conflict, and you're like, it's not going to work out, oh no, and then it always works out in the last two minutes, and they kiss, and that's the end. Okay, somehow it works, and they have a million, billion people watching their movies, but last night was different, because it was about an orphaned girl. And this, this orphan girl, her, her mother had died. She never knew her father. And she's a sweet girl helping, um, helping uh, foster care kids find families. But then she's going to spend Christmas totally by herself. And she's done this ancestry test. And then she gets that fateful message from the ancestry company, you have a paternal match. And she's like, oh, oh my gosh. I actually, my dad, he's, my dad's living, and the dad gets this thing that says, you have a daughter, and they find each other, and the whole movie is about them finding each other, and she all of a sudden realizes, I not only have this amazing dad, but I have this amazing family, and then in the middle of it, she gets a text after she's enjoyed the father and enjoyed the family saying, sorry, we made a mistake. And I'm going to ruin the movie for you. It wasn't a mistake, and... They live happily ever after. Oh, and she finds a guy and he kisses him at the end too. Okay. That <laughs> wouldn't be Hallmark if they did, that didn't happen. But if you were an orphan, 
if you felt alone all your life, can I tell you, if we looked at your spiritual ancestry test, we would see that you have a paternal match. You have a father in heaven. It doesn't matter what your earthly father was like. It doesn't invalidate the fact that you have the best father in the universe who only wants to bless you, who only cares about you. He's not having you wait. When my kids wake up in the morning, the first thing I don't say to them when they walk in the room is, did you get your homework done? To my, to my boys that play football, are you ready for your game? To my daughter who acts, are, you are your lines memorized? You know what I say to them? Good morning. I love you. I, love to, I give them hugs, right? When my kids come in the door, the first thing I say to them, I, they walk in the door, my, my boys walk in, I go, hello, man of God. That's what I say to them when they go, hello, man of God. Right? And they're probably like, that's really interesting. But you know what? They hear over and over and over again is their identity. Before they leave the house, I read the scripture to them. Why? Because I want them to know the truth, because the truth will set them free. The earth is trying to trap us and enslave us, but they need to know the truth. They need to know the, the truth that first thing dad does is he comes and hugs me. Secondly, he speaks identity. And thirdly, he speaks what the kingdom of God is like. That is a loving father. You have a paternal match, although the enemy is trying to send you a message. Nope, that's a mistake. Nope, you actually don't have that. No, the end of the movie is yes, you have a paternal match. You have a good God, and he actually puts you in a family. And so anyone that might feel, oh, you came to church alone. You're like, I'm totally alone. No, when you stepped in here, you have a family. You have a family. Actually, earthly families will end but spiritual families will last into eternity. You might not see your earthly family. I hope you do. I hope they give their life to Jesus. But many earthly families, you won't see them. Again, it's for 60 to 90 years. But as you look around this room, these are the people you'll spend 60,000, 60 million years with. He is adopting you. What is that? That is, he is our hope. Second, Scripture says, the hope of our calling the hope of our calling. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Hudson, will you throw me a bottle of water? I didn't bring one up. Oh, thank you. Oh, you didn't even throw it. Thank you. My son would have like beamed me with it. Not because you don't like me. Second, the hope of our calling. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Do you know that you have an amazing calling? Now, let me just tell you this. Some of you might not be sure of your calling. Actually, that's what we're going to focus our whole commission weekend on in February is asking the Lord to release his calling. There's all these amazing callings, but let me tell you one thing about a calling your calling will be always bigger than you could ever accomplish in your own strength. God will always call you something greater than you can accomplish on your own. If your calling is something that you can do in your own flesh, then it's actually not your godly calling. God always calls us to something bigger. And, and so many of us think, well, man, it, my calling is just not going to happen. It, it, why? Because you can't accomplish it, that's good. Because God is the God of the impossible. And we have to have him. We have to find him. 
And, and, and so many of us are, are like, man, my, my life just stinks. I love that verse, you know, uh, they led us, the guys led us in, in the Father's house song, and it says, the story isn't over if the story isn't good. The story isn't over if the story isn't good, right? You're, so many of us are like, man, my life is just over. It just stinks. If you're still living, your story's not over. You don't know the end of the story yet. Put your hope in God. Keep waiting on him. Keep believing for him to do the impossible because he is the God. He is the God of the impossible. Here's point three. Here's the third. Is the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. This is talking about Abraham. It says this, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they are looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Here's been one of my biggest concerns in 2020 and 2021, is how many Christians seem to just be living for this earth, living for this country. Now, I, I love the United States, but can I tell you, this is not your final home. You're not to be living for this country. There is a heavenly country to live for. It says, it says this. Let's keep going. Instead, they were longing for a better country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, I'm pretty prideful in our city of San Diego. I think it's the most beautiful city in the United States. But can I just tell you that there's a prettier city than San Diego, California, or, or Nashville, Tennessee, or where are people moving right now? Austin, Texas, or up to Idaho. Can I tell you, there is a prettier city, and it is the celestial city. It is heaven. Are you living for heaven, or are you living for this earth? I've been very concerned that it seems like too many Christians, it's all about this earth. It's all about getting more comfortable. It's all about, can I get a higher paying job? Can I get more comfort? Can I get a place where there's less pressure on me? And, and God is saying this, no, live for the eternal city. Live for the heavenly kingdom. There's a hope in heaven. Can I ask you, do you hope for heaven? You know, in some ways, all the shaking it's actually a great test for us to say, are we living for here on earth? Or are we living for something to come? This story was talking about Abraham. And Abraham's amazing because Abraham actually left. I've never heard a time where more Christians are talking about moving. I traveled last week. I was in a different city. People are talking about moving. They're all, everyone's got, there's this cities. COVID just did this thing where everyone's like, ooh, I can move here or I can move there. It's good. Life's going to be better for me here or there, or I can find a better job. I can have a bigger house. I can have more cover. I can have less restrictions. I love what it says about Abraham as he was looking forward to a heavenly city. The Bible says that Abraham actually left Ur of the Chaldeans where everything made sense and went on a journey of faith. I want to tell you this. If you, and, and we're a church that talks about people moving. We prayed for Heather and Caleb Overstreet who moved overseas. We're constantly sending people out to plant churches. So we're a church. We're not a church that says, stay here. But what we are a church that says is if you're going to move, move like Abraham, not Lot. Move like Abraham, the father of faith, not Lot. Abraham left what made sense because God was calling him on a journey of faith. And in the end, he became known as the father of nations. 
Lot chose the place that made most sense, the place of most comfort, the place of most worldly accolades. And what happened? He moved to the city of Sodom. Lot, when he tried to save his life in this world, moves to Sodom and barely escapes with his life. Abraham, who left everything that made sense to go on a journey of faith, ended up becoming the father of nations, the father of faith. Today, let me tell you, I'm looking at a lot of fathers and mothers of faith. You be a person who always takes the journey of faith. It might not make sense on paper, but it makes sense in the book. You be a person of faith. Let's go to this last point. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I started this message by saying my title is it's who you know, not what you do. It's who you know, not what you do. But don't be confused. It's not that what you do doesn't matter. It does matter. Let me finish with this story. I, I've been, we've been um, re, uh, repurposing our garage as an apartment. And so one of the things you have to do is you take the garage door and then you stucco the wall. And, and you've probably seen this numerous times. People do this all over San Diego because you don't really need your garage that much, is, is they repurpose a garage. But you can tell a garage was there. But I've been working with this master. He's, he's in our church. His name's Glenn Froming. And, and I've been his tool boy in helping him. And so we finally got to the part where we're restuccoing where the garage door was. And so I, I'm just the tool boy. I'm just the, doing the grunt work, helping lift up the stucco buckets to him. And he is just masterfully putting on the stucco. And, and my in-laws come out. They're staying with us right now. My in-laws come out and they look and say, Glenn, you're a magician. You're working your magic. We can't even see the seams on this. The next day, the, the, the thing dried, and you can't even tell that we covered a garage. But I was asking Glenn, Glenn, how did you get so good at stucco? And he said this, well, my father was a stucco contractor, so I grew up working beside him. I said, Glenn, how did your father learn that? He goes, his father was a stucco contractor. You know, when my in-laws came out and said, Glenn, you worked your magic, actually, Glenn can work magic because he always worked with the Father. He always partnered with his Father. It just flowed out of him. The Scripture says this, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's not that your works don't matter. It's that your work comes out of you always being with the Father. If you're with the Father, you're with the God of love, and love will come out of you. If you're with the Father, He is the God who blesses, who meets needs, who rescues, who takes care of people, and that will flow out of you. And I even love what it says because you are so wise today. You that are sitting here, it says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. You see, we need the family. We need the body because you might be the very person who shows the love through the Father that someone else needs. You might have the encouraging word that someone else needs. And when we get together, this miraculous thing happens that can't happen when we're on our own because the Bible says wherever two or more are gathered 
gathered in his name, he's there with us. And that's why we gather together every week because the living God says, I'm going to be there and you're going to be encouraged. And in this hard world, you need that hope that I bring. It's the hope in you and it's the hope we find when we come together. He is our hope because in the end, it's who we know that even influences what we do. Why don't we stand up?